Welcome to, to church. Um, if this is your first time with us, then um, we're so glad you're here. My name is Kobe Neal, and luckily for you, I'm not the pastor of Second City. Um, so if you hate today's sermon, just come back next week. I won't be up here. Um, but it's so good to be with you all. Uh, and I love what Andy said. You know, we serve a global God, and we're a part of a global church which means that every week on Sunday for 24 hours, there is some group of believers who are gathered praising the name of God. Um, and that's, that's something we can rejoice in. If you've been with us for the past few months, you'll know we've been going through um, Acts chapter 2, really just a few verses. And so we've, we've spent a lot of time going in deep to, to look at the attitudes and the actions of the early church and seeing how we can be challenged by them. Um, so I'll read uh, verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. We'll be on the screens in here so you can follow along, and then we'll get going. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. I'll pray. Father God, we are so grateful to be able to gather in this space and worship you together. I pray that you teach us today. Don't let me speak out of my own words, but Lord, would you speak through me? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we see a beautiful community of people that are gathering. They're, they're happy. They're filled with joy. They're hanging out all the time, not because a pastor tells them to, but because they want to. They love each other that much. And as beautiful as they are, let me just say, they're not all that different from us. Yes, they were Palestinian Jews uh, that lived 2,000 years ago and wore none of those things. But just like us, they are made in the image of God, who have a sinful nature, and are in need of the grace of God. Um, we, we don't necessarily see all of their struggles in this text, but I, I guarantee you they struggled with pride. I guarantee you they were stubborn, and, and some were greedy at times. I guarantee you they, they were filled with lust. They struggled just as we do. And I say that to encourage you, this isn't, these aren't, the special super-Christians, right? This level of community is obtainable. Something we learn about this group a little bit earlier than the passage I read is that they came to faith by hearing the Word of God preached, and then they instantly devoted themselves to the Lord, to the Word of God, and then as a result, the church. And so if we want a deep, intentional, authentic community that resembles this in our church, then we must individually commit to having a deep community with our Creator, 
That's where it starts. Our community here in the church has to be based off of our love for the Lord. That's the only foundation that it can stand on. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to take a deep look at a few of the attitudes we see present here and expand on them so that we can learn more about our Creator and therefore learn how to build a deeper community with each other. So the first one is a spirit of awe. It'll be behind me. So the word awe, the Greek word is phobos, and you're correctly guessing that's where we get the word phobia from. Um, the, the connotation is more of a reverent fear, not necessarily you're in a haunted house and terrified, but it's a fear out of respect. So it's recognizing the authority of someone in your place below them and giving them this respect that they're due. Most translations, like the one I read out of, translates uh, that word as fear here in Acts 2. And so what does it look like to have a spirit of fear? Right? As Christians, that, that language can make us a little bit nervous. Right? You're supposed to fear God. I thought God was good. I thought God was our Father. Why should we fear Him? But the reality is, is there's a difference between the fear of God that a non-believer will have and the fear of God that a believer will have. You see, the non-believer has everything to fear of the holy God, of His perfect wrath, of His holiness, of the punishment they would receive from Him for their sins. But for the believer, it's that, that reverence. It's recognizing God's authority over our lives and giving Him the respect and the worship that He is due. There's a difference between the fear a criminal has in court for the judge um, and the fear that a toddler would have for their father. Right? There, there's a difference there. We, we, we can feel that, we can see that, we recognize it. And in conversations with, with non-believers or, or atheists or agnostics, there can be sometimes that comment of, well, you just worship a, a man with a white beard in the clouds. And listen, as much as I love Ian McKellen's portrayal of Gandalf and the Lord of the Rings, that's not what God looks like. We have to give him the respect he is due. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. It's not a book we look at too often. It'll also be on the screens. I just want to go to a few scriptures so we can put some flesh on these bones. So Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Let me read it. So this is Yahweh speaking to Israel. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all His ways, to love Him and to worship the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul? If you go down to verse 20... You'll say, you are to fear Yahweh your God and worship Him. Remain faithful to Him and take oaths in His name. He is your praise and He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome works your eyes have seen. Right, so this is what God tells His covenant people. This is what God requires of His people, that they fear Him that they recognize who He is and worship Him appropriately, right? 
God is kind enough to give us the practical application then. What does it look like to live a life marked by fear of God? Well, it says you walk in his, his ways, you love him, and you worship him. Obedience, love, and worship. That's what a life marked by the fear of God looks like. And then God reminds the people of the works he did for them, right? This is the God who who freed Israel from the bondage of Egypt. This is the God who brought the plagues to, to free them. This is the God who parted the Red Sea. This is the God who then provided manna from heaven for 40 years for his people. This is the God who brought victory again and again and again. This is the God who brought down the walls of Jericho. This is the creator of sun and stars, Lord of every atom, sovereign over all. And he requires the fear he is due. What happens when we encounter this God? What what happens? Well, let's look at a few passages. Um, So the first one we'll look at is Isaiah 6. This is one many of you will be familiar with. The prophet Isaiah suddenly finds himself in a vision of the throne room of God. He sees the glory of God on his throne, and he sees these weird angels with six wings hovering around and proclaiming worship to Yahweh. They're, They're screaming so loud, they're singing so loudly that the foundations are shaking And Isaiah proclaims this, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Upon seeing the glory of Yahweh, Isaiah couldn't help but to proclaim his own sin, recognizing the Holy of Holies was before him, and he didn't deserve to be in his presence. You keep reading just the next verse, an angel comes and cleanses him of his sin. The presence of God demands a response. Let's compare this with Matthew 17, the transfiguration. I'll read it real quick. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them upon a high mountain by themselves. He was transformed in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. Even his clothes became as white as the light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I will make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard it, they fell face down and were terrified. Then Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one but Jesus. What happens here? Well, the veil is pulled back, and we get to see Jesus in his glory. Jesus is the God-man. He's fully human and fully God, but here his humanity is 
shielded a little bit and his glory comes out. And then the voice of the father yells out because poor Peter, it's always Peter. He makes a mistake, right? He, he incorrectly tries to put Elijah and Moses on the same level of Jesus. And the father will have none of that. So the father interrupts him and then singles Jesus out and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the response to seeing Jesus in his glory and hearing the voice of the Father ring out is to fall on your face, terrified. They encountered Yahweh in his glory and were terrified. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, get up, don't be afraid. The reality is, is that without Christ, we have every reason to be terrified of God. We have every reason to be terrified of His holiness. But because of Christ and His work, we don't have to fear the judgment of God. Rather, we get to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Right, this is the gospel, right? That the, uh, the God of the universe has existed for Trinity for all of eternity. And that at a specific time, the eternal divine son came into the world that he created. And he obeyed the law that he commanded perfectly. Died the death that you and I deserved. And then raised from the dead on the third day, defeating sin and death forever so that in the presence of Yahweh, we don't have to be terrified and full of shame. We get to proclaim and be filled with joy. Our response was once one of terror, now is one of joy. We get to be loved by this magnificent, beautiful, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. May we give him the reverence he is due. So the reality of the gospel will always produce gladness, which is the second point. Gladness. The Greek word is, I can't really say that, agaliasis. We'll go with that. And the connotation is a bit more intense than the English glad. It speaks of exuberant joy. This is big. This is more than just a smile. This is a bit deeper. What we read in Acts 2 is that the church was marked by the sense of joy they had in gathering together. So just as they went, they had this spirit of joy, of gladness that they carried with them. But what we learn is that the early church did not have it easy. They had it pretty difficult. Not long after this, the first martyr um, happened, which was Stephen, and we'll read about him later. Soon after that, the, the Roman government tried to eradicate Christianity from the land. And Emperor Nero, who you might be familiar with, he hated Christians so much, he arrested them would pour tar over them, put them on stakes, and use them as torches for his garden parties. The church did not have it easy. But guess what? Jesus said to expect that. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, we read that Jesus says to rejoice and be glad when they persecute you. 
He says to expect it and then rejoice in it. Peter, in his uh, epistle to uh, a group of Christians who were refugees, they were run out of their homes. He says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah. That's intense. Rejoice in your suffering, he says to the refugees. Nowhere in the gospel does it promise health, wealth, prosperity, or anything easy. That's a lie. Jesus says to expect hatred. But the reality is, is being in Christ means you have the Holy Spirit who will produce joy in these times. So this gladness is not a shallow smile. It's enduring, it's tangible, it's lasting, it's rooted in eternity, and it cannot be taken from you. Being a Christian doesn't mean life will be easy, nor does it mean you have to deny your hurt. There are whole books of the Bible dedicated to expressing deep anguish and sorrow and pain. We call this lamenting in our faith. And let's just look at Jesus as an example. Jesus was not smiling in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. Jesus was not smiling as he stood at trial for crimes he didn't commit. Jesus was not smiling as he was being beaten and flogged and mocked. Jesus was not smiling as he hung on the cross for us. But the author of Hebrews writes that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despised the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is deeper than a smile. In the most misquoted, taken out of context passage in the Bible, Philippians 4, Paul, he gives us a secret. Right? He says, I've learned the secret to contentment in times of starvation, in times of abundance, when I'm in need and when I'm okay. And he's writing this from prison, right? And he says that secret is Jesus, is the work of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not necessarily score the winning goal or ace your math test, but survive starvation with joy. <clears throat> John Piper writes that the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and in himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. The work of Jesus enables us to live lives marked by joy. And the reality is, is that we can have joy in breaking bread because Jesus was willing to have his body broken for us. It's the only reason. May we be a church marked by joy. 
not just a room of smiling faces trying to put on a mask to cover up all the hurt we have inside, but true, honest joy. May we want to walk with one another through every bit of life, in the celebration of new life, in the grief of lost life, in the celebration of new marriages and the grief of broken ones. May we be a church that bears each other's burdens with gladness. The next bit, we're going to have Reza come up and read a psalm in Farsi for us. You can come up, Reza. Um, Our third point in attitude is a spirit of praise to God. Um, And so Reza will read Psalm 148 for us in Farsi. It'll be up on the screen in English, so you can follow along. But you can stand there. Hello everyone, I'm Reza, and it's my pleasure I'm here among you, such a welcoming person, and I'm happy uh, being a part of your community. I'm going to read Psalm, chapter 148 in the Farsi. <laughs> از آسمان ها و از عرش علا ستایش کنید ای فرشتگان او و ای لشکرهای آسمانی او را ستایش کنید ای آفتاب و ای محتاب و ای ستارگان درخشان او را ستایش کنید ای آسمان ها و ای آبهای بالای آسمان او را ستایش کنید همه اینها خداوند را ستایش کنند زیرا که او که به فرمان او آفریده شدند او همه آنها را تا ابد استوار خواهد ساخت و هرگز تغییر نخواهد کرد ای نهنگ ها و ای تمام اعماق اقیانوس ها او را ستایش کنید ای آتش و تگرگ برف و مه و طوفان که مطیع فرمان او هستید او را ستایش کنید ای کوه ها و تپه ها و درختان میبدار و ای صرف های بلند ای حیوانات احشی و اهلی ای خزندگان و پرندگان او را ستایش کنید ای پادشاهان ای مردم شاهزادگان و فرمانروایان ای جوانان و ای دوشیزدگان پیرمردان و کودکان او را ستایش کنید همه با هم نام خدا را ستایش کنید زیرا فقط نام او متعال و شکوه و جلال او بالاتر از زمین و آسمان است او قوم خود را یعنی بنی اسرائیل را قوت و توانایی بخشید او مایه افتخار مقدسان است 
خداوند را سپاس باد تینکیو Praise God for uh, the God of all languages, too. Uh, we can proclaim uh, the scriptures. We can pray in any language, and God hears it all. Uh, it's such a joy to be able to share community with our international brothers and sisters. All of creation exists to sing the praises of God. From the weather, from sea monsters, From people, from the servant to the king, everything exists to praise the Lord. All of it. I don't agree with everything N.T. Wright says, but this comes from a song and I like it. So I'm going to read this quote. Um, All the beauty of the world, the beauty that calls our admiration, our gratitude, Our worship at the earthly level is meant as a set of hints, of conspiratorial whispers, of clues and suggestions and flickers of light, all nudging us into believing that behind the beautiful world is not random chance, but the loving God. Everything exists to worship God. Colossians 1.16 echoes this point, and one of the most beautiful passages of the whole Bible. We, uh, it's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It just sings the divinity of Christ. And it says that, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Everything exists for the Lord. We are created to worship. But the question then is, what are we worshiping? Sin has come and distorted this, and we are so easily distracted. And I'll be the first to, to confess to you, I don't always worship the Lord like I should. I get distracted by earthly things all too easily. So what do you tend to worship? Yourself, your spouse, your children, your accomplishments, your, your work, what are you worshiping? The reality is, is praise is a discipline. Like I said, we're all made to worship. Sin has distorted that. So praise to the true God is a discipline. We have to rewire some things in us to be mindful and to think of and ponder of the glories of God. And as I was preparing this, I was... Uh, I just noticed something. I could be wrong in saying this, but I think it could be true. That's point one plus point two equates to point three. So I think true fear of God plus joy in who He is will always result in more praise to God. So fear of God plus joy in God produces praise to God. And think of uh, Stephen's words in Acts 7. Stephen was the first martyr. I mentioned him earlier. In Acts chapter 7, uh, he, he has this long sermon where he's praising the Lord and calling out the Jewish leaders of his day. And they hate it. I'm not sure if it's on the screen, but I'll read a little bit of it. This is at the very end. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. 
he saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears together, rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep. Stephen's last words were dedicated to praising the Lord Jesus so much that he was asking him to forgive his murderers. May you and I be so fixated on the Son that regardless of circumstance, we can still praise the Lord. Let us resolve to be a church that praises God in every trial, in every circumstance, throughout every season, in light times and in dark times, in times of happiness and times of sorrow, in life or in death, may we always praise the Lord. I just have one more scripture to read, and then we'll close. Revelation 5, verses 11 through 14. Um, Revelation is a book often seen as very mystical and mysterious and something to be afraid of. Um, But brother or sister, read it. It's glorious. It praises the Lord um, in mighty ways. So Revelation 5, um, speaking about Jesus the Lamb. John speaking. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, The Lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. A time is coming when all of creation will bow before the King and give it the reverence and the worship and the praise it's due and the fullness of joy. This is messy. Church is messy. Community is messy. We are broken people who are struggling with a thousand different things. We come from so many different backgrounds, countries, languages, traumas. We're going through a lot, guys. And it's it's not going to be perfect. But the Lord's heart is for his people to be gathered in community so they can help one another heal. They can help point each other to the Lord, to himself. 
So may we commit ourselves to join one another in having a healthy fear of God, having joy in every circumstance, and lives that are marked by deep, authentic praise so that we may know God better and therefore have a richer community together. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. Lord, and your deep love for us, that you haven't left us in our sin, but you have made a way for us to be cleansed and to be redeemed and reconciled and brought to you. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who will promises to wipe away our tears and to be near to us. God, will you help us to walk in humility with one another as a church? Will you help us to serve one another with joy? Will you help us to learn more about who you are so that we may love you even more? Lord, help us, we pray. Amen.